Would you pray with me, please? Be with us this morning, God. Quiet our hearts. May our spirits be still, that we might hear from you. Amen. Are you the one who is to come? So John the Baptist sent his own disciples to ask Jesus while he, John, sat in prison awaiting execution. Are you the one? John's reason for the question? Well, it was simply this. The man that he himself had heralded as the Messiah, this Jesus of Nazareth, had thus far not done anything very Messiah-ish. The overthrow of Rome, the liberation of Israel, the formation of a new government, all of those things that he and all other first century Jews were waiting on from their Messiah? Well, three years on and none of that was taking place. And thus, knowing that he himself was likely about to die, John the Baptist quite naturally wondered, have I gotten this all wrong? Are you really the one who is to come? Here's why I bring this up on this fourth Sunday in Advent. No one in first century Judaism, no one in Judaism period, had ever thought that the long-awaited Messiah would in fact be God incarnate. You follow that? There was no stream of Jewish theology that had ever taught that when the Messiah finally came, it would be God in human flesh. Now, all sorts of other speculation had abounded. Where he'd be from, what he'd be like, what he'd do, etc., etc. But no one had ever thought, hey, I bet God, God, will become human and dwell among us. Such a thing was then, just as it is now, if you stop to think about it, absolutely ludicrous. But then listen to how John the Evangelist explains the birth of the long-awaited Messiah. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Became flesh and dwelt among us. A shocking claim. A scandalous claim that God, the creator of the universe, would take on human flesh and dwell among us. Oh, sure, the Psalms had held for centuries that God was abounding in love, but no one had ever considered a love such as this. 
that God would not only raise up someone to heal the world's brokenness, but that God would enter into the brokenness to heal it himself. This kind of love, a love as far-reaching as this, was simply unheard of. Which means, then, that this is what is at stake when we each year celebrate and remember Christmas. At stake is the very nature of God's love. The very nature of God's love. There's a line in Stephen Shabosky's cult classic novel, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, where the main character asks why some people allow others to treat them so poorly. To which his response comes, we accept the love we think we deserve. We accept the love we think we deserve. Why wouldn't it occur to anyone that God would take on human flesh and dwell among us? Why wouldn't it occur to anyone that God would appear as the Messiah of Israel? Why wouldn't it occur to anyone that God's love could be so far-reaching as this? Because we accept the love we think we deserve. And thus no one, despite what the psalmist had written about God's love, no one ever believed that God could possibly love us and love this world that much. For, we reasoned, we simply don't deserve it. Yet hear now these oh-so-familiar words. For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whosoever believeth in him should have eternal life. These are quite possibly the most recognizable words in the entire New Testament. But this morning I want us to focus in on a single one of them. So... So, that simple little adverb, so. For you see, there is a world of meaning in these two little English letters. For there is all the difference in the world between God loved the world enough that, and God so loved the world that. All the difference in the world. And if it is true that we accept the love we think we deserve, then it is my experience as a minister that most of us, as people of faith, accept an idea of God's love that is merely God loves the world enough that, When really what is on offer is a love so relentless in force and form that it can only be expressed as God loved the world so much that. 
And which of these loves we accept makes all the difference. Last week I posted a picture on Facebook of Ben on his six-month birthday. In the photograph, he's smiling with wide eyes at the camera, and several folks later said to me something to the effect of, he's just the smiliest little baby, which you all saw. (laughs) He is. He smiles a lot. But what I want to call our attention to this morning is the reason for his smiliness, if you will permit me to create such a word. Listen to this quote from the theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar. After a mother has smiled at her child for many days and weeks, she finally receives her child's smile in response. She has awakened love in the heart of her child. It's so good, I'm going to do it again. Listen closely. After a mother has smiled at her child for many days and weeks, she finally receives her child's smile in response. She has awakened love in the heart of the child. Ben smiles the way he does because he has received April's constant smile into himself. Ben smiles the way he does because he has accepted the fullness of the love that is being daily offered to him. It hasn't yet occurred to him that he might not deserve it. Instead, he correctly interprets the signs of just how boundless and unconditional our love for him is. And his acceptance of it then permeates his being and shines forth from within. That's why Ben smiles the way he does. Sweet, right? Figured I could tug on the heartstrings with that one. But here's why I tell that story. Here's why it matters. When John the Evangelist later writes in his first epistle, we love because he first loved us, this is precisely what he means. He means that we only know of the possibility of such a fierce, relentless, unmerited, unconditional kind of love because we have now seen such a love from God. Because we have now been given such an unmistakable sign of it. Again, until the incarnation of God in Jesus happened, no one had ever conceived of such a thing as even being possible. Until the incarnation of God in Jesus happened, humanity accepted the love we thought we deserved, not the love we thought we didn't. And therefore, humanity not only had an attenuated understanding of God's love for us, But we therefore and consequently had a limited conception of the kind of love we ourselves are called to demonstrate to one another. Love is patient, Paul writes. 
But until the incarnation of God in Jesus, did we really have an idea of just how patient? And love is kind, Paul added. But until the incarnation, did we realize just how kind? And love bears all things, and love believes all things, and love hopes all things, and love endures all things. Sure. But until the incarnation, did we have the foggiest notion of the extent to which love could and should go on these counts? Yes, dear family, the incarnation of God in Jesus at Christmas reveals so much to us as human beings. The incarnation of God in Jesus is the evidence of the so in God so loved the world. The incarnation of God in Jesus is the motherly smile that awakens in us our own capacity to smile. The incarnation of God in Jesus is the love we think we don't deserve but the love that we receive anyway. So the whole point of this sermon then is to remind us during this final Sunday in Advent when we as Christ's followers sit in anticipation of the coming Lord Jesus to remind us that the one who is to come is one whom we in our wildest dreams could never even have imagined. Are you the one who is to come? John the Baptist asked of Jesus, representing all of us who accept only the love we think we deserve. Oh, I am so much more than that, Jesus answered him through his subsequent death and resurrection. I'm so much more than that. Dear family, those also familiar words from John 3, 16, don't say that God loved the world enough that. They say that God so loved the world that. And so on this fourth Sunday in Advent, just six short days removed from Christmas, I invite you to receive the good news You are not just loved by the one who is to come. You are so loved. May the acceptance of this love permeate your being this Christmas. So much so that it might shine forth from within. And all God's people said, Amen. And as we prepare to sing this hymn of response, I will be down front to receive any who might this day want to accept the love of God in Jesus Christ and begin following Him as Lord, or receive any who might this day want to join our number here at Boulevard, where together we will strive to make it ever more on earth as it is in heaven.
As we go forward this day and as we go forward every day, might we as a community of faith strive to make manifest in the world around us the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. May we live by the Spirit. Amen.